Baseball season is around the corner, and we will be giving out our favorite futures picks on the Just Baseball show in the lead-up to opening day. To go along with that, BetMGM has a brand new offer for our listeners. Use code JUSTBASEBALL and place your first BetMGM Sportsbook wager through the BetMGM Sportsbook app of at least $5, and you will receive $150 instantly in additional winnings regardless of your wager's outcome. How to get this offer? Step one, download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Step two, sign up and deposit at least $5 into your newly created account. Step three, place a wager in the amount of at least $5 at standard odds price. Step four, once you have placed a bet, you will receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your wager. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York and call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 21 plus only, please gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that it expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL and get $150 when you bet at least $5 on your first wager. We've got a weekend of college baseball we want to talk about. Also, some MLB headlines. None are that big, except a certain borderline $300 million guy is not playing shortstop anymore. Uh, and then we got to talk to you about the top 10 third baseman in all of baseball. Happy Monday. Since it's just baseball show, it's presented by BetMGM. As always, new promo code Peter told you about for two minutes before uh, the instrumental in the intro roll. Jack, Aram, um, I went to the Y on Sunday. We're recording on Sunday afternoon. I went to the Y on Sunday morning. Adult dodgeball tournament. Oh, and it's, Okay, so my initial thought was weird. And then I thought about it for five more seconds, and I was like, wait, I would kill to be involved in an adult dodgeball tournament and dodgeball for the baseball crowd. I assume a lot of people listening to this played baseball or softball growing up. You probably loved dodgeball day for me. That oh. was like the day where you can impress the pretty girls with your howitzer. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pause. Um, no, <laughs> no, that's, that's one where like, I, I feel like it actually would be like the opposite of pause actually. But uh, <laughs> for me, it was, it was, yeah, it was like the one time where I could really stand out and just let it rip. But the yeah. funny thing is 
by the end, like by the time we got to high school, we were doing it, it would just hurt too bad. Mm-hmm. And I would have let those things rip. So now if I ever try to play dodgeball, my, I, I get the tingling in my hand and in my thumb. Um, yep. I, I can't throw anything anymore, but no dodgeball. I'm, I'm all in on that. My school got really soft though at the end. And like, they would only let us play with these like foam balls yeah. that just barely, they'd almost like flutter in the air. Like they like, like, 40 inches of induced vertical break, just kind of taken yeah. off in the air. You couldn't really throw it hard. And, and you know, that's 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 the world we live in now where you, you can't hit people too hard with a dodgeball. So I was learning what spin and carry does to a ball because of those foam dodgeballs. Yeah. And we were actually using those from like elementary school upwards. We never really used the rubber balls. And as as a person that like genuinely, whenever I threw a baseball, it had like arm side run. It was just one of those natural left-handed things. I would throw a dodgeball and I would shoot for like their left ankle and it would like peel up to their gonads. Yeah. And that's just yeah. how I went about it. Um, just but a yeah. nice little two seam with ride, two seam right. ride. If you could, if you could master that pitch in major league baseball to have like the, the, the run and ride is like, insane. it's like, Cut ride, it's like we talk reverse, about yeah, run and ride is like deal. impossible. Yeah. It's like right. impossible. No, that would be so cool. So yeah. Envious of the adult dodgeball tournament that happened today. Um, you're down in South Florida you did not get to the light, I assume. You did not get to uh, any college baseball this weekend. Are you going to go to Marlin Spring Training on Monday? Um, either Monday or Tuesday, I'm going to swing by. Um, okay. I, I'm just hearing rumors that Sixto Sanchez hit 90. So, uh, you know, it's like I got to see front, that in, in, in was real that life. Was feet? Was that front uh, Yeah, yeah that's, that's that's word on the street. But also, actually, Mel Stoudemire, Jr., Marlin's pitching coach, kind of came out and said, uh, yeah, Sixto doesn't really look the same anymore. Um, he's not Sixto, which we knew, but no shit. It's wild, you know. It's it, it's it's nice to actually hear the team. You know, it's obviously unfortunate, but like, yeah, acknowledge reality here. And and what the Marlins are going to probably do is give him another few weeks, and then I think as the season gets closer, like they either have to put him on the sixty day IL again, which I don't even think they can do because he's he's healthy. He's, healthy. he's yeah. now healthy. He's just well, not and, his arm he, shot. Epler, Billy Epler just got suspended for a year. Yeah, so they're not going to mess with that. And and God forbid the Marlins get fined any amount. I mean, I think if they get a a parking ticket, Bruce Sherman's trying to figure out how they're going to pay that. So I'd imagine that there's probably going to be a scenario here where he probably gets DFA'd, I think, in the next few weeks. Um, This is my guess. I don't have any sources or info on that. This is what I think is going to happen. I think he's not going to throw any harder. The bullpens are going to continue to look rough. And I think he gets DFA'd in a few weeks, and it's going to be like a very unceremonious end to what is a really depressing story uh, that is Sixto Sanchez. Who claims him, and why is it the Chicago White Sox? <laughs> it would be on brand, right? They already claimed Davey Garcia. And uh, they claim Patino. They claim Tuki Tucson. Yeah. They've done a lot of that. I think nobody, to be honest. Yeah. I think nobody. But y- you never know. I mean, the Yankees claim Jordan Groshan, so you never know in this world. Crazy. I want to run through a couple of the projected top 10 picks rapid fire uh, in the opening weekend of college baseball. A guy that was not in the projected top 10 that Peter Flaherty of Baseball America told us on Friday could absolutely sneak in is Jonathan Santucci at a Duke. And that was the first game of the college baseball season. I was tapped into that, especially because it was against Indiana too. Santucci sat 95-96, five innings, shutout, four hits, seven Ks, two walks. He looked the part, man. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to mention another guy that could be pitcher two that I don't think should be pitcher two. This guy screamed pitcher two in his first outing of the year. Yeah, he looked great. 
Um, that was a fun start to watch too. Just it's like it, he went from last year where where Santucci, he was once like more of a two way guy too, where he was hitting a little bit. He could hit, he can hit some nukes too from the left side. But now just focusing on pitching, he uh, he looked different because there was a little bit of command issues I think through spurts last year. Yeah, uh, and, and he was just pounding the zone against Indiana, just attacking these hitters. A lot of confidence, fastball out of ride, and it was like okay. Uh, so that that's what's fun about this is, yeah, we have our grouping of those top 10-ish guys, but there's so many other names that are going to start to catapult themselves into that top 10 conversation, yeah. and Santucci is just a perfect example. So a, a couple of bats that I want to hit before we get to the pitching thing. Charlie Condon has Thank had you. a weekend. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Uh, how many miles per hour do you kind of add when you see a guy popped – a 118 mile an hour double 118.2 off the wall and left does that translate with wood to like a 112 111 yeah the the general and i think it's it's at the end of the day you know you're it's it's there's no way like perfect conversion rate but i think the general is like three to five miles per hour okay Um, so probably closer to the three side so i'd say probably like Four is a safe number to subtract. All right. So we're talking about a 114, 115 yeah. mile an hour double yeah. from Charlie Condon. He hit another ball well. I think it was over 110 as well for a single. Um, this guy, you know, I, I know that we talked about on the call up uh, mm-hmm. when we were doing the top 10 draft guys. We talked about maybe his limitations defensively. I watched on Sunday. He just pretty much jumped and, and fell over the bullpen fence robbing a foul ball and made yeah. a catch. Like it was a great sports center top 10 catch that he just made in left field. This guy looks the part through the front weekend. That was the guy that, you know, I had the least information on before. So we just put out a mock draft as well. Um, so definitely go check that out at on just baseball.com. I put a lot of time into, you know, our first iteration of a mock draft and uh, talked about the top 10 prospects on the call up, but we'll talk a little bit more about the mock draft on the call up too. But when I was doing the research and diving into some of these players, you know, just a little bit further to give some more context to, to the write-ups in the mock draft, Condon was a guy I didn't have a lot on because he was a he was redshirted, you know, two years ago. He was a redshirt freshman last year. So to, to see it from that lens, I was like, okay, let me watch some more of this guy. And I was floored watching some of the video from last year. Uh, the power, but also the feel to hit combined with that when you're 6'6". Um, and I legitimately texted Pete Flaherty immediately and said, is there a world where Condon can, could go one, one. And, and Pete was like, he's got to really hit, but it's not impossible. And and I honestly think like if he shows that he can play a little outfield and he's hitting the way that, that we think he can hit in the way that he's looked so far, he's going to have a strong case in, in the top few picks there because it's the combination of the field of hitting the power. But you mentioned covering some ground in the outfield. If he can yeah. prove that he can, he's not just locked in at first base. I wouldn't be shocked if he's a, you know, top three pick as well. Yeah, we kind of described it as early goings Matt Olson, where, yeah, he was clearly a first baseman, but he survived in right field yeah. and survived in corners. And that can probably be Charlie Condon. We've talked about Jonathan Santucci at Duke, pitcher at Duke, and then Charlie Condon, who's an outfielder at Georgia. Another 1-1 candidate, you wanted to see Juice, and you wanted to sh- see shortstop acumen from Travis Bazana at Oregon State. And we've seen Juice, two-homer day on Sunday, three homers in the opening weekend. For Bazana, I, I saw the second homer on Sunday, elevated fastball left on left that he got his hands in and drilled. Could he jump Weatherholt with like, if Weatherholt had a 15 homer spring and Bazana put up a 20 homer spring, 
Do you place a yeah. lot of value in that? Yeah. Well, I, I think I think they could pretty much put up the same numbers they put up last year. And if Bazana is playing short and mm-hmm. showing that he can play a passable short, I mean, that that could be a separator too, right? He's like, you're talking about two guys that are, we talked about it on the call up too, about <clears throat> there's so many, there's so many of the top players in this class, top hitters in this class don't play premium positions. And that kind of leaves it open for someone to separate themselves. Weatherholt's going to play second base. So I, I think if Bazana can prove that he can play a shortstop, that'd be one separator. And then two, if Bazana can show that he's got a little bit more thump than people thought, I think he could easily leapfrog him because I think that's the one thing that Weatherholt kind of has on Bazana is like the bat speed's just ridiculous. He looks like he has a little bit more juice. But if Bazana's matching the, the, the power output, I think he could easily leapfrog him. Yeah. Um, last thing on the college front. There are two guys that stole the show headline-wise on the mount this weekend. It was Iowa's Brody Brecht, and it was Wake Forest Chase Burns. They had very different starts. And Brecht, uh, I I think I sent you the, the tweet from Baseball America that was like, have a day in all caps, Brody Brecht. Punched out 11 across four and a third. Okay, look at the other numbers that Brecht put up against Seton Hall. I'm going to give you the full line right now. Brody Brecht against Seton Hall, four and a third, one hit, one run, 11 Ks, six walks, a hit by pitch. That's eight base runners and four and a third, 100 pitches, 53 for strikes. And as of right now, this guy's a two pitch mix. It's fastball slider for the most part. 53% strike rate overall. You walk six against Seton Hall man like it's really hard to spin this as being pitcher two for me especially when this guy is rocking a a walks per night i think over six in his college career right now yeah you know i I, he's so fun to watch because of of what can be and what he's physically capable of but you hit the nail on the head man like look there's going to be some other prep guys i think that start to 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 show out and probably you know climb and, and gain some ground. And then we just talked about Santucci. We just talked about some other arms that I think have been really impressive and, and could be impressive. You look at Ben Hess from Alabama. Yeah. Had a really good outing. I think he's the guy that could end up starting to climb up there a little bit. I, I mean, it's interesting to see like how, what Breck stock's going to look like, but like it was, a, it was exciting to see the stuff again on display, right. but again, it wasn't like he was facing LSU where, you know, he, he can't just pound the zone with fastballs. Like, he, he can just throw fastballs in the zone against Seton Hall and overpower them for the most part. And he still walks six. So he's going to need to sh- show some, some progress in the command department or else we might see his draft stock slip a little bit. And that might be a guy that falls a little bit further in mocks. We had him 12 to the Red Sox just because I figured it was a perfect fit given what, what the Red Sox infrastructure is now in terms of pitching development. But there's only so ruling. much you can develop. Yeah. Like, like He's going to have to show some on his own this year. And he's got time. It's just the first start, but it's something to monitor. So Paul Skeens was viewed as the best amateur pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg. If we get a full year of what we saw on Saturday from Wake Forest, Chase Burns, like that's not far off from what we saw from Skeens last year. Chase Burns is so clearly the best pitcher in college baseball Uh, this year, best pitcher in the draft class. He could do the Skeens thing where he makes a run for the Golden Spikes as a pitcher. Chase Burns against Illinois in his Wake Forest debut. Six innings, three hit shutout ball, punched out 10, one walk, 88 pitches across six innings, 58 for strikes, four base runners, 
in six innings. This data is per Burt Granger of D1 Baseball. He got his fastball sitting 97 at 2,500 RPMs, and he got his slider sitting 87 at 2,900 RPMs. This guy got 14 swings and misses with his fastball. That was, I, I, it was bullying. And I sat there and I, I watched the front four of the six. And I was like, how's any guy not named Alvarez, Judge, Trout, Otani going to touch this cat? He may not be touched before he gets to the major leagues. There's, there, it looks like something clicked for him. Um, he's a totally, I wouldn't say totally different pitcher because you saw the, the flashes. But it was like in but- a reliever role. Yeah, th- this is a a different guy though. Like he has totally elevated himself and from a command standpoint, his mechanics, even just the feel for his secondaries. Now he's even sprinkling in some change ups that are you know like ninety two, ninety three, uh, like the power change that you see. You know, with with some of these like Marlins pitchers, and now you're starting to just see kind of take over baseball. Uh, he's got something going on here, and it, I think you've hit it perfectly. Where it's it's him when we're talking about pitchers and then kind of everybody else. And look, even if you're not a huge college baseball fan, if you happen to see that Chase Burns is on the bump, just tune in. It, it's wow. it's really fun to watch the top pitchers in college baseball pitch. Don't wait till the college world series or, or, you know, until you know they're on ESPN every given night. ESPN plus has a lot of these games. Yes. And a lot of people kind of ask, where can I watch? Plus. Um, ESPN yeah. Plus is a usually a, a what's the other one? Flow Media. Is it, yeah, is you got one? Flow Sports, Flow, flow Baseball. Sports. Um, but ESPN Plus will carry pretty much everything, and and you've got the ACC Network Extra for Wake Forest, and that'll be part of your Watch ESPN app. So go to the Watch ESPN app, and you will get pretty much every college baseball game in America. Yeah, and if you tune into a on the ESPN Plus app every once in a while, if you tune into a mid-major basketball game, you might hear Jack McMullen. Yeah, Maction, baby. That's it. Although my basketball slate is done for the year. So I had a good I had a good time watching uh who who were they playing? It was Ball Ohio. State versus the game Ohio. went to game went to OT. That was a good game. Yeah. I watched the whole thing. I know. Nuts. All right, let's move on to the big league stuff here. Um interesting note out of Padres camp. Xander Bogarts is going to play second base. That in turn moves Hassan Kim to short. Is it the mm-hmm. right on-field move? Absolutely it is. Mm-hmm. Um, is it weird? I, I saw this note. They've paid three shortstops, $300 million and none are playing shortstop. You <laughs> didn't pay Manny Machado to play shortstop. You paid him as yeah. a third baseman, but I, I think yeah, it's yeah, look, also calling Machado a shortstop there. It's just a narrative suitor. Yeah. It's totally a narrative suitor. Like, Hey, what helps my claim? And, and that yeah. is what helps their claim. But they did pay Fernando Tatis 340 mil to be the shortstop of the future. And he's playing right field at a platinum glove level, but he's playing right field. They paid Xander Bogarts $280 million. He shows up. First question he's asked is, where are you going to play? And he said, I'm going to play shortstop. I'm the Padre shortstop. And now a year later, that's not the case anymore. I find it really interesting that that happened. Um, that being said, credit to Mike Schilt for just laying the hammer down and saying, this is how we look like the best version of the San Diego Padres. Look, enough of the like, oh, this is our best player, so he has to play short. Yeah. If you're interested in winning ball games and there's a better setup defensively, do that. Like, I've had enough of the like, oh, but we signed him to do this. If you have a better option, you have a better option. Like, enough of the like appeasing the superstars. And, and I will say, you know, props to Xander Bogarts for being accepting of it, but like also, 
deal with it. Like, hey, you know, I, I, I don't want to give him too much credit because it's like, if you're not playing a better defensive shortstop than Hassan Kim, then be prepared to move. That's and be the, selfless. The, of the business. You're still getting right. paid. Right. You're still getting paid a lot of money. I think it's a great move for them for multiple reasons. One, it, I think it makes them better, of course, especially in a situation where you're not going to have Machado. And I think this is a big part of why they did it. You're not going to have Machado at third base for the beginning of the season, most likely because of the, the elbow surgery. So, I mean, that's a guy that was great defensively for you at the hot corner. Now, you know, you might have like Matt Batten there. I, I, I don't, I don't know who's playing third base for them this year, but the point is it's going to be a defensive downgrade. And do you want to have a, a you know, a, I know Bogarts has improved a lot defensively, but you know, if you don't have a great defensive third baseman and then you have like a, passable defensive shortstop and you're giving up a lot more on the left side for what just because Xander's our guy and we're paying him and we don't want to upset him and then we're going to put our best defender on the right side at second base makes no sense so I I do like that they're doing that because they don't have Machado at third base for the beginning of the season Kim is going to cover a lot of ground out there and is going to be an asset for them and be more valuable also Hassan Kim is going to have a four and a half maybe Hassan Kim could have a five war season this year yes. he's playing shortstop by the way so that's also awesome I'm all I'm here for going into free agency this is great for Hassan Kim he's yeah. probably going to now make himself a, a, a whole another 30 40 million dollars potentially if he plays the way that we think he can and then for Bogarts maybe this helps keep him healthy I know it's mostly been a wrist issue but just not playing as you know exhaustive of, of a position uh, you know, maybe maybe that's something that can help kind of keep him fresh a little bit more. A hundred percent. I think Eggy Rosario is probably going to be the guy at third before Machado comes back. Although Rosario has very limited run at the major league level at third base. Yeah. Even then, it's like just kind of a shit assortment at third base when you have Manny Machado sitting there just on the shelf. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the thing that we often forget is these guys have coaches. They have managers. And remember what coaches did for you when you were young? They made decisions on behalf of the team. And I love that players have agency. I love that superstars have agency. But at the end of the day, you know, like NBA head coaches are putting a playbook in. And, and NFL head coaches are like deciding the route tree that, that guys are running. And MLB managers have the right to fill out the lineup card as they see fit. And it really doesn't yep. matter. If Bogarts is making yep. 25 mil and Tatis is making 25 mil. So. They're still in the lineup. Yeah, yeah, they're still they, paying them to hit. They're hitting second and third. <laughs> like they're they're fine. And that's that's what they want to do. I I know that there's some enjoyment at shortstop, but man, Tatis has a platinum glove in his in his living room now. Like, and and he would okay never have that. had one of those at shortstop. Almost no. I mean, look, I don't want to say never for a guy like that, but I, I think it was much less likely that it would ever happen. It definitely wouldn't have happened by now, by his 25th birthday. So, yeah, I mean, I'd rather have an elite defender and right. And then again, you, you're, it's not like they're just plugging some other guy in there and we're going to see what happens. They're plugging a plus defensive shortstop in there immediately. So yeah. it, it, that's the thing, too. It's not just, oh, we're moving Bogarts off of short and putting another guy there and we'll see how he does or he's an average defender. He's a great defender at short. So yeah. it, from, from that side of it, too, it's – it's just a no-brainer from a baseball standpoint if you get past some of the quote-unquote optics and you know you know what you know what's good for optics winning so uh, you know I think this this gives them the best chance to do so it is the best thing for optics a uh, couple minor transactions before we get into the top 10 third baseman um the Royals did grab John Schreiber from the Red Sox for David Sandlin who was selected I want to say 11th round last year by yep. Kansas City 
I'll leave the floor to you on Sandlin because I know that you liked him a lot mm-hmm. at the end of last year. Schreiber had a really good 2022. He had a 2-2 ERA. He was punching out about 10 and a half guys per nine. The whip increased by half a point from 0.9 to 1.4 this year, and he was a very unreliable reliever for the Red Sox. Yeah, it helps bolster the big league bullpen for the Kansas City Royals. And we know, based on everything they've done this offseason, that they are making a push at the division as soon as possible. They got a big league reliever, but it cost them a starting pitcher in an organization that has been long starved for starting pitching talent. Yeah, so it it is interesting that the Royals are kind of being aggressive like this, but at the same time, you know, Sandlin's a good pitching prospect. You know, he's, he's a solid pitching prospect, but you know, you're hoping what he develops into a four or five, um, right. probably a good chance. He ends up as a, a solid reliever. I, I honestly think he's going to stick as a four or five and probably be closer to a five, but you know, he's still got to do some things and he's only pitched at the lower levels. I like the stuff though. It's, it's a pretty good three pitch mix. If you count the curveball that he sprinkles in a four pitch mix, but the fastball has good ride. Um, he gets a decent amount of swing and miss on that. And he averaged like 95 miles an hour on the fastball. He's six, four doesn't get as much extension as you'd like to see. So I don't think the fastball whiff rate is going to be as good at the upper levels, but it's still going to be a solid fastball slider is good. Um, that's a pitch that's above average and his change up working off of the fastball is, is above average. So you have above average fastball, probably average slider, and then above average change up good command too. this guy only walked six and a half percent of batters last year. I think Sandlin could turn into a decent back end of the rotation starter, only 23 years old, and he'll be 23 for the duration of the season. This is another example, though, of this is a new Royals team, not just in terms of trying to win now, in terms of, you know, the whole infrastructure, scouting, pitching identification and development. And this is a guy that they drafted in the 11th round. And within a year and change, right, I think they drafted him a year and change ago. Yeah. um, they're, They're able to convert that into a, solid potentially seventh inning guy right Big, or, you know, yeah. could even pitch higher leverage if he or excuse me not sandlin um schreiber schreiber can end up pitching higher leverage you know if he looks more like 2022 schreiber so i mean that that's why drafting is so important it's not about just converting all these guys to big leaguers it's about, it's about building about, capital yeah and then converting them into big leaguers in another way right it's, it's not always just oh we're going to develop them into a big leaguer. it's 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 the trade capital so I, one i love that the Royals are in a position now where they feel confident about their pitching development. And then, you know, there was a point in time where Sandlin would be like, that's your one guy, like don't give him up. But right. I, I think they're already in a better spot with the way that they've been able to identify and develop um, over the last couple of years. And then on top of that, it's just fun to see them continue to, to, to push the chips forward this year. I know that's not like, this isn't a, a game changing move, but it, it, they've continued to try to strengthen that bullpen and they traded a guy that's not going to be up in the big leagues for another couple of years. And they really feel like they have a chance this year. And the vibes are got to be high. I hope fans are packing Kaufman again like they were, uh, you know, right after 2012, 13, 14. You know, that's just that whole range where, where those Royals were hanging around, won the World Series, whatever. Like, I don't think they're going to do that, uh, at least not for a little bit. But they're going to be competitive. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to see the Royals continue to do this. Nothing crazy. They're not mortgaging the future. No. But they're spending a little. They're trading some pieces here and there, and that's maybe all they need with the young core that they have to, to be good in the next couple of years. And it lights a fire under that young core too, which is the most important thing. And on paper, are the Kansas City Royals the favorite to win the American League Central? No, but that division's not good. 
anything can happen in that division. And the term in college basketball, you hear it a lot come tournament time, is one-bid league. That league is a one-bid league. The AL Central is a one-bid league. They are not getting a wild-card team. But doesn't matter if the division winner wins 79 games. That 79-win team is going to the postseason because you have a winner. And I think that's all Bobby Witt and Vinny and Melendez and Michael Massey and, you know, all these guys needed to hear. Brady Singer, Cole Reagans, they just wanted a shot and they wanted a seat at the table and they officially have a seat at the table in the American League Central. So I find it fascinating. I want to go back real quick to that one point you made about it's not just about developing talent that will help you. It's about developing talent to go acquire more talent. It's about building capital in that system. Best example is the recent San Diego Padres. At the end of 2022, they had moved Wood, Gore, Abrams, Hassel, uh, Susana for Soto. And at the end of 2023, they have six top 100 guys and yeah. Merrill, Salas, Snelling, Lesko, Iriarte, Head. And Thorpe. And Thorpe, seven now. They have seven in our top 100. That's ridiculous. Yep. And yep. they are really good at identifying. And guess what? If they're projecting for 95 wins, they may move three of those guys for a superstar at the deadline because yep. they know they can replenish. Yep. And they could trade a couple guys and, you know, their system's still in a good spot. And, and, and you're you're not even mentioning, you know, a couple other guys that really mashed at the upper levels last year and maybe don't have the upside to be top 100 guys. Right, but like, you got like, like a Graham Pauly. Pauly. Yeah. yeah. Jacob Marcy, both guys that you know, carry plenty of trade value as well. So like those are two guys that could be the number two piece in a solid package or be swapped for a good reliever too. So the Padres just have good, good capital. Like they just seem to always have, uh, you know, resources there, which is important now, especially in a spot when, you know, finances might be a little bit tighter. Uh, the last thing just to circle back on the, on the Royals bullpen is, look, they knew that they weren't going to turn the bullpen into an absolute strength overnight or over, over off season, but there's so much upside, at least in this bullpen, several guys that, you know, if they either bounce back or take the leap that we think they can make, uh, you got a bunch of different Potential high leverage options. Like I still think James MacArthur can be, you know, a really intriguing piece. Uh, they bring in Will Smith, uh, who, you know, we, we've seen him be fantastic through stretches and yeah. has been a part of every World Series team, basically. Nick Anderson, you know, let's see what he looks like when he bounces back. Chris Stratton, mm-hmm. another guy that we've seen through stretches be fantastic. And then we just talked about Schreiber. It's the guy that was phenomenal two years ago. So I, I think there's just so many irons in the fire that the Royals are putting themselves in a position to have at least a couple of these guys be able to, to, to stand out and, and, and play, you know, pretty well uh, and, and be high leverage options. Don't forget about John McMillan either as, as a John McMullen, I'm rooting really hard for John McMillan, who was a rocket ship through the minor leagues last year. Uh, two quick free agent signings, one year deals. Randall Gritchick signed a one year, $2 million deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And before you make your fart noise, listening to this, let me tell you that this is the perfect Short end of the platoon for Jock Peterson. Perfect, perfect. Jock Peterson in 2023 against right-handed pitchers had a down year compared to his career, but he had a 786 OPS. 14 of his 15 homers came against right-handed pitching. You do not want Jock seeing a lefty. Guess what Randall Gritchick does? Better than almost anybody in Major League Baseball. Kills lefties in 2023 against left-handed pitching. 122 ABs. He hit 328 with a 995 mm-hmm. OPS. 
Half of his homers, eight of his 16, came against lefties, despite left-handed pitchers accounting for under 30% of his plate appearances. Yeah. This is a superstar signing. And you combine Jock against righties, Gritchick against lefties, you just signed a $20 million DH. You just got Jorge <laughs> Soler, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and Gritcha can play some defense too. You know, like you know, I think Jock's not the best defender. Um, so you know, I think you can mix and match at times. Jock's probably gonna play the DH, you know, you the, the or start in the DH role most yeah. of the time. Um, but then the days where Jock's out of the lineup, you can kind of mix and match a little bit because Gritchuk's a guy that can plug and play, you know, and, and play some decent defense. But you hit the nail on the head. He's pretty much filling that Tommy Pham role that ended up being a really important role. Pham ended up hitting so well, he ended up playing, you know, a lot against righties too. But Pham was acquired to mash lefties for them, you know, and and, and that's what he did. And now you have Gritchuk kind of filling that role. I love the way that they're piecing this roster together. Um, I think they've done a really good job of, you know, getting the most out of either platoon situations and, you know, realizing, you know, they're not going to spend a trillion dollars and, and be able to do things, but they have spent a little bit here and there. And then, put themselves over the top with some maximization of, of maximizing the, the platoon side of things. So I think they're in a really good spot and, and I like the signing a lot and look out for the D backs, man. I think they've done everything you could ask for because we, we talked about it. Like I, they weren't in a position where I think, Oh, they're going to run it back. Right. They're going to be right back there. No, they, they needed to do some things to, to, I think elevate their floor some. And, and I think they've done exactly that. Also interesting that the other news I think out of Arizona is that, Perdomo is going to start the year at shortstop. Makes sense, given that you know, he's proven a little bit more than Jordan Lawler. But, you know, even in that lens, like through that lens, Perdomo is going to start at shortstop. If he's playing well, great. No issues there. If he's struggling, you've got one of the best shortstop prospects in baseball waiting in the wings to, to come up and plug in. You know, if Perdomo does that thing where he sucks for like the first <laughs> yeah. half of the season. If he flip flops what he did last year. Right. It's... I, but it, I think it was only the first month of the season that Perdomo was really good. But he was, yeah, he like, was the best player on earth. earth for, for, for He was so good for a month that it, he was an all-star, even though he sucked for, I think, the next like three months. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Last one, Whit Merrifield to Philly on a one-year $8 million deal. My initial reaction was, there's no space for Whit. What are we doing? But then you look at the depth chart and you see, all right, Marsh is in a corner. You could probably move Marsh back to center where he's good. And then Whit can play left or you have him as that utility piece that he's so good at doing. Do you think Philly just signed an everyday player? I think Philly signed a guy that won't be labeled an everyday player. But then when you look at the stat line at the end of the year, it's pretty close. Yeah. Right? Like he had 378 plate appearances last year. I think he easily eclipses 450 this year. Cause yeah, we just talked about platoon splits and things, right? Like, it's a pretty left-handed heavy lineup. You got Schwarber, you got Harper. Those guys are pretty much never leaving the lineup, of course. Uh, but you, you got several other left-handed hitters in that lineup. So you're going to probably want every once in a while not to be as lefty heavy uh, and maybe want to get Stott or Marsh out of that lineup. I, I don't know how dramatic Stott splits are. I know Marsh you know, has some, some pretty hefty platoon splits in terms of being much more productive against righty. So one side of it is, I don't want Johan Rojas in center field on opening day if I'm if I'm a Phillies fan. Um, and now, as you mentioned, you can move Marsh over to center field and 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 have Whit Merrifield play second or excuse me play left. But the, the other side of it is if you want to get one of those left-handed bats out of the lineup, you can either have Rojas in center field some games, have Merrifield then hit for Stott and or 
um, you know, Brandon Marsh and and have a little bit less left-handed heavy of a lineup, I'd imagine it'd be more Marsh from time to time than Stott, because I think Stott's pretty much proven to be close to an everyday guy. But it just gives you another righty to spell the lefties who can play second, can play left, can play center. Um, I, I think he's a perfect fit for this team. And again, Dave Dombrowski kind of identifies the personalities that fit in. It seems yeah. like what Merrifield will fit perfectly to, a great clubhouse guy that I think is going to get along with with this group of players too. A hundred percent. I just did a quick glance. Stott really has no difference in his mm-hmm. splits, like a two point difference in batting average and OPS within 20 points of each other. But Marsh kind of adding to your point, this guy 292 against righties and 860 OPS OPS drops 130 points. Batting average drops 70 points against yeah. lefties. So, you know, there you go. You, you could have, you know, a Rojas play or a Pache play, and then you have, have wit slide into the outfield too. So we're going to get to a top 10 third baseman here in a moment. Before that, quick break. All right, the top 10 third baseman in Major League Baseball for 2024. Of course, we have two honorable mentions before we get into the top 10. You want odds or evens? Your choice. Uh, I'll take the odds. Okay. All right. You want numero uno. I get it. The two honorable mentions are Key Brian Hayes with the Pittsburgh Pirates and Max Muncy with the LA Dodgers. Let's start with Key Brian Hayes, who is a perennial platinum glove candidate. Question was, can he hit? Can he hit? Can he hit? The answer the back half of last year was, yes, he can. He tapped into something after the All-Star break that I think gave everyone a taste that this guy can be a top 10 third baseman in baseball. The defense will always be elite. Always. But the bat was the big question. Is this guy an offensive liability? Is he a seven hitter? No. He looks more like a five hitter, maybe even a two-hole guy for the Pittsburgh Pirates than a, a 220 sure out. Yeah. No, dude, Brian Hayes is good. And I think he's a guy that, okay, it's just, it's been frustrating because we keep waiting and waiting and waiting and he hits the ball so hard. 106 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. Like that's, that's, plus raw power, yes. but it, he's always been a guy that puts it on the ground too much. It's a little frustrating. He stopped doing that down the stretch last 50 games of the season slash 300, 341, 536, 877 OPS. He's never been a guy that strikes out much. He's got a pretty good field to hit. He's a little aggressive, but that's fine. If you hit the ball hard in, in the way that he has 10 home runs in those last 50 games, he had 27 extra base hits. Uh, clearly something clicked there. And the biggest thing was the ground ball rate was 39% over that stretch. I think something clicked for him in terms of being able to, to create loft at the ball in the air consistently. And we saw what can be, you know, when he does that, I think this is going to be, we, we keep saying it every year and I will pick him every single year until he's 40 to, to like break out. But I really do think that this is going to be the year where he puts it together over the course of a whole season. And I think that's going to be huge for the pirates. I'm a big fan of his regardless, because you know how much I love my third base defense. Yeah. It's a, and it is the most aesthetically pleasing third base defense to watch. He is taking the torch from Nolan. And and he did it by winning an NL Gold Glove. It's the first time in his career that that Nolan Arenado did not win the Gold Glove at third base in the National League. It goes to key, and that legitimately felt like a passing of the baton. Like, hey, you're the gold standard now, and you can really appreciate that. The other guy is Max Muncie, who is not an elite defensive third baseman. This guy was generated to be an OPS monster. And he was absolutely a top 10 guy heading into 2022. The past two years, if you average out all of his numbers over 162, he's hitting 204, but 
He's got a 330 OBP. And per 162 over the last two seasons, he's still giving the Dodgers 34 homers and 104 driven in. He's doing what they need him to do. He's like the best power hitting six hole guy in baseball. And Max Muncy will continue to do that. Will he do it as a DH? No, because Otani's there. Will he do it as a first baseman? No, because Freddie's there. Those are two places I'd feel more comfortable with Max Muncy. Having said that, he's just fine at third base. Yeah, I'd say he's not some gaping hole, massive, massive problem. He's fine enough. And when you hit 36 and you walk 15% of the time, like, I'll, I'll pallet the rest. Um, I, I still think he's going to have a little bit better of an offensive season this year. I think there was some bad batted ball work. There was some, there's some slump stretches there that I think kind of dragged him down a bit. I, I, I don't think he's slowing down yet. I think, I think he could still hit you 40 any given year. And and the fact that that's not a top 10 third baseman is a testament to, to the position and you know, how many good players are at this spot. Yeah, let's jump into number 10. The 10th best third baseman in baseball heading into 2024 is Matt Chapman of the, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. 31-year-old Matt Chapman still on the open market. What's he going to get? Is he going to get 150? Who's going to pay him 150? Is he going to sign a two-year deal for 70? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Matt Chapman last year played all the time. 580 plate appearances. Guy hit 240. The strikeouts have been a concern the last couple of years. But this guy has platinum gloves under his belt. And he had 17 homers. He started like gangbusters. The power was nowhere close to where we have seen it. We know this guy is a 30 homer threat. He had half that. He only drove in 54. Stolen base is not a big part of his game, but he still produced a 110 WRC+. And the defense is still so good. 12 defensive runs saved at third base that it gave him a three and a half win season. Yeah, I personally would pay him 100 mil over four years. I would. Is he going to get it? It's getting late. I don't know. You know what he hit over his last 50 games? Well under 200. One, Not well under, but it wasn't good. 192, 296, 339. Yeah. Um, what concerns me is the whiff rate. You know, over that stretch, in zone whiff rate, of 27 and a half percent. So just like flip that around. That's a zone contact rate of around 70, 72%, right? Like it's, that's a little tough. Um, You know, I I am a little worried about, you know, how his offensive game is going to continue to age, but he does, he does still hit the crap out of the ball. And you mentioned the defense still being really good, but if you give him four or five years, if the defense is slowing down in year three and four could be a liability there. So, He's a tough case because we saw what he did in the front portion of the year. We know what he's done for so much of his career. And I think it's part of the reason why he's unsigned, though. I don't think anybody quite knows where to peg him. And I'd argue that even uh, the Just Baseball staff here that voted on this, I thought he was probably, if you look through it, probably one of the more polarizing uh players when you look at our rankings i like just kind of walking through and of course you can check out the article in the episode description to see you know all of the rankings but you know jack you and i had him at 12 we were the low guys on him you know ranked him 12th peter had him at eight colby had him at 11 fink had him at 10 leo morgan stern had him at six um i i think he's you know on the outside looking into the top 10 and I think you can make the case. I know the glove's amazing and all that good stuff. And, and he still did produce a better war than you know, some of the other guys that we put in here. But going into next year, man, like and personally, I'd rather have Cabrian Hayes. Yeah, 
I think I would rather have Key Brian. It, I think I, it, it's I a democracy, have. and that's yeah. why it's the way it is. But Key Brian does what Matt Chapman does better at this stage. And I think that I believe, I do believe in Cabrian's bat more going into next year. Big part of that is the way that they both finished the season. We're not going to talk about one month here. We're talking about the second half of the season. Right. Totally opposite ends of the spectrum. And one guy's 27. Another guy's going to be 32. I, I'm willing to bet that Cabrian has a better year uh, this coming season. But again, it's a democracy. And I also understand going with the track record of a guy that, has sure. done it for so long like Chapman and his bad year was still three and a half war right yeah. so like you know it, he's still a player man speaking of democracy I told Peter last week I am so excited for his top 100 players how oh. amped are you for that episode that's always so funny it's just a <laughs> let's r- rip it apart episode that's always let's, fun let's see who we left off like our conversation about 100 because it's always going to be Cal Quantrill our conversation about 100 is must listen Every time. And I, I don't say that things that come out of my mouth are must listen at all, but that we just come with notes and just pepper Peter with questions. Kill him. <laughs> Why'd Kill you him. do this? Why'd watch him squirm? Yes. Um, it's always fun. It's always so, honestly, though, like a lot of the answers, he had a very valid explanation. Oh, yeah. and every once in a while, we'd we'd catch him. You know, it's like you got, you got him, you know, like for questioning on the stand in, in, in court. And you're like, oh, I got him. Yeah, I got Big him. Man. Oh. But yeah, it's always yeah. Real quick, last thing on Chapman. You're a G. You're you're Jed Hoyer. All right, you got Christopher Morel in camp working at third base every day. You see him throw a couple balls to the uh, to the screen beyond. Uh, yeah, so you, you watch him throw like a, a splinker. Uh, yeah, like or like you see him play pepper to first. Exactly, or you see him play pepper with the tarp in shallow right field. What are you comfortable? giving Chapman like, Hey, here's our offer to you. I think for me, it's three mm-hmm. for 75. That's, that was exactly the number I was, I'll put escalators in it. That's yeah. fine. I'll, I'll escalate that, that shit to 85. Like, you know, if, if he performs no problem, but I, I think you need to have some protection there. I wouldn't go more than three years on him. And I think that's probably the problem because he feels like I've been one of the better third baseman in this game for a minute now, blah, blah, blah. But you also have been kind of eh for the last few years and you have some injuries. I mean, we're talking about hip surgery, stuff like that. I, yeah, I wouldn't go more than three. Um, Might be I, his agent. <laughs> I, I didn't, yeah. Is he a Boris guy too? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I, I'd incentivize it, I'm sure, but I ain't going more than three on that guy. No way. Got you. All right, number nine. Josh Young, Texas Rangers, checks in at number nine. And this is this is the thing too. If we're talking about Cabrian Hayes being on the outside looking in, and then Josh Young is on the inside already, <laughs> Josh Young is only a year younger than Cabrian Hayes, by the way. Like just just to put things in perspective. But again, it, we're we're past it. I'm here to talk about Josh Young. The guy hits, man. And, and if he wasn't hurt last year, I think the season looks even better. He still came back and you know was able to 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 do some good things and and, and have a good overall season for the World Series winner. And, and I think there's just some added value to that to be to be a rookie um, and, and to be playing a key part in a World Series effort. Uh, I think is is extremely impressive. Um, and, and to deal with that thumb issue, come back and yeah, he didn't he didn't quite hit as well after coming back from that issue. So I I do think that was part of it. Uh, 
he still had a really good year overall. We're talking about a guy that, you know, can hit for power, still makes a decent amount of contact, 266, 315, 467 slash line, 23 homers, 70 driven in. It's a 110 WRC plus and a two and a half war. Again, if he doesn't get banged up, I think that war is probably closer to three. Even those numbers are probably elevated as well. Um, the the one thing that I think is is missing for him is is the approach. Um, he's mm-hmm. aggressive because he hits the ball hard and he, he makes good contact, at least, you know, decent. But, you know, a guy like that, you want to see him walk a little bit more. What I will say, though, is the defense has gotten so much better. We saw him make some so big much. plays, some big plays in the postseason anecdotally. And then he graded out as an above average defender, you know, yeah. zero defensive run save. But, you know, it's pretty easy to accumulate negative there. And then five outs above average. The range has become really good for him. Um, he's a good defender at third at this point. And I think he's only going to get better. like Austin Riley, you know, a guy that just continued to get better and better and better. Um <laughs> I, I think the bat's going to come along too as he matures and gets more reps. And again, this is a second straight year where he's had some injuries, right? He came back from a shoulder last year that almost wiped out his entire season. Then he right. dealt with that fractured thumb this year. Those are two injuries that really hamper your ability to hit. And he still has produced. Um, so, you know, I think it's only going to get better for him. So great write-up by Patrick Lyons um, here as well. And and we've got that in the episode description. Um yeah. So my only thing about Young, and, and by the way, kind of how we spread the votes around, the reason he got the edge over a Matt Chapman is because the votes were more consistent. Yes. I had him at nine. Peter had him at nine. You had him at 10. And then we had eight, 11, 10. Um, Leo the, at 11. <laughs> yeah, Leo at 11, because uh, he had to shove Chapman up to six. <laughs> the thing that is concerning me about Young, the one beige flag that is getting a little bit darker in hue each year is there's always a thing 2022 is the shoulder thing Mm -hmm. 2023 there's a thumb thing he's out for three weeks with a calf strain now there's always a thing and i I worry about availability with the guy that always has Mm -hmm. a thing going on that the calf thing is is a little like you could say shoulder fluky, thumb a little fluky, but now you got a calf situation now too. And and I think he's had some some little flare-ups in the past too. It's definitely something to start monitoring. I think that's very fair. And, you know, a guy that's just brute force, hit for power, and has improved with his mobility at third, like you don't want to see injuries back that up. So yeah. I, I think it's a very valid concern. Yeah, but having said that, this guy was – it with with the Rangers spending the way they do – Having this guy for seven hundred and fifty grand for the next two years is so important, and he's like the best pre-hard guy we got going right now. I agree, and the the other big part of it is, you know, this was a Rangers team that we were kind of wondering what do they do, right? I remember, like, it's hard to it's it's hard to remember because they got so far away from that. We talked about how they were like three different teams in one year. Like, yeah. oh, go all in. Oh no, maybe they should just pull the reins back a little bit. Oh, they're okay. they're pushing the chips forward. I guess they're going. I don't know if they're. Being as aggressive around the deadline, if it weren't for Josh Young and what he did in the first half, right? He passed the baton to other guys who stepped up in the second half and, you know, they made some additions and and helped push that team forward. But he had 280 with 19 home runs in the first half, right? He was one of the better, you know, not only just just young players in the game and rookies in the he was one of the better third basemen in the game up at, at the All-Star break. And then as you know, Patrick Lyons mentions in the in the piece, mashed in the playoffs, 308, 329, 5. 38. So maybe he just took some time to, you know, kind of get his his feet back under him, really his hand. So, you know, I, I I'm interested to see what it all looks like. But, you know, he was a big part of that World Series effort. If, if you think about the narrative and, you know, just kind of keeping them afloat in what was a very rocky first half. 
Yeah. Uh, Josh Young is 26 years and eight days old. He was born February 12th, 1998. Isak Paredes was born February 18th. Happy birthday, Isak Paredes, 1999. He's over a year younger than Josh Young, if you can believe that. And oh, by the way, Isak Paredes is our eighth best third baseman in baseball heading into 2024. You know I love this guy. Um, I called him the most underrated hitter in baseball at the midway point last year. Whole side power. The EVs are not always crazy. They are not tape measure shots. But that guy hunts a left field fence better than almost anybody in baseball. And this guy in his age 24 season last year, in his last year of pre-arb, last year of league minimum, because he is a super two guy, he had a 250 clip, but a 488 slug, 31 homers, 98 driven in, a 4.3 win season because he's a good defender. Two defensive runs saved. He held serve in the outs above average department at zero. I had him at eight. You had him at eight. Fink had him at seven. Leo and Colby had him at eight. Peter had him at 11 for yeah, some weird stat, reason. She's trying to be edgy. Shut no, up, Peter. Peter is being a stat cast merchant or something like that. <laughs> oh, the Savant page has some blue on it. It's not gushing blood. We just recorded, and I know I know he's called me like a fraud on here a few times when we've been doing yeah. the rankings because if he doesn't like my rankings, well, here's my turn. That's trash. 11, like, just look at the numbers, dude. I don't care. And it's not like you just, it's a one off. He was pretty darn good the year before, too. He kicked it into another gear. Also, a fun game. You can do this more in the NBA because the ages are mind-numbing in the NBA. Yeah, like Justice Winslow is still like twenty-two. But <laughs> the, the the crazy thing is, I think you could play a game with like who's younger, Josh Young or Isak Paredes. We could probably fool seventy-five percent of people. Oh my that god, would say, that would say Josh Young's younger for sure. Um, but back to the original point here, we did a whole call-up episode on the race system um, this past week on on Friday and. There's something about what they're able to do in terms of finding players who uh, are able to maximize their power and and outslug their EVs is the way I like to talk about it, outslugging your exit velocities. There's players who can sustainably do that. You've talked about Chris Bryant. Um, he's a guy that he's never been up there in the EV department, but he's always been a home run threat. Uh, there's guys that just do that, and, and you got to throw some of the, the stat cast shit that we subscribe to out the window when there's Hitters that can backspin balls to the pull side consistently. It's an approach thing. It's a swing path thing. And it's a consistency thing. It's hard to do. But there's certain guys that can do that. And Paredes is one of them. I Look, I, I think in a, if he was playing in, in Baltimore, sure, I'd be concerned. But it, it's going to take an extreme change of environment for that to happen. I don't really foresee uh, this being something that tapers off or whatever because he doesn't whiff in the zone dude like we're talking almost 90 percent zone contact there like it's a really good feel to hit so even if you're afraid to pitch him in it's not that he's so incapable of going the other way or, or going back up the middle he can it's just he's gonna hunt the pitch that he can pull over the left field wall early in the account and then if you're trying to pitch away from him he's easily gonna hit a shot back up the middle like, it's not like he's incapable of doing anything but pull. It's just he's not powerful enough to consistently launch it out to all fields. I I, I think this guy is going to be a consistent hitter one way or another. And, and we saw that last year. Walked at a 12% clip, struck out at a 17% clip. Like, he's just figured it out for himself. The, the borderline good defense is the big separator for me because this guy 
we got to see him in person at the World Baseball Classic. And just watching him on TV, you get you get the idea that he's big. He's a massive dude. The torso's huge. And there's a whole bunch of weight that he gets moving in his swing. He holds that lead leg up for a while and he just explodes and turns. And there's so much momentum there. And with that much mass, I mean, we talk about it with Walker, right? Mass times acceleration, like all that shit. That is him in one spot in the batter's box. And it's a very aesthetically pleasing thing to watch. And it's a lot like Austin Riley. And we'll talk about Riley, obviously, much later on in this list. But big guy figured out how to be a good defender. I latch on to those guys. 100%. Number seven. Number seven is a player who, I mean, like we're hoping that it can all come together and we've seen flashes of what can be, and that's enough to get him at number seven. It's Royce Lewis. Also deceptively young, still only going to be 25 years old. Uh, The entire, I think for most of the 2024 season, but we got 239 plate appearances of of Royce Lewis, and that resulted in 15 home runs. And that resulted in a 2.4 F4. I mean, this guy at third base now, too, he could play shortstop. So moving him to third, he can be a really good defender there when he's healthy and, and consistently available. And um, I think we saw that. I mean, to, to accumulate a 2.4 F4 and just 239 plate appearances is absolutely insane. Um, so th- that part is really exciting. Uh, you still see the speed being a part of his game, which is great after two ACL tears. He's obviously not going to get back out there to center field, which is great. And if you combine every single game he played, like rehab game, playoff, playoff games and everything, 74 games, 21 homers. Like, that's crazy. And the other side of it that's really impressive is he's an athlete. He makes fair amount of contact now. Like he's really cut down on the swing and miss, but this dude can hit the crap out of the ball. Like this is a guy that can miss hit home runs. He has a huge margin for error relative to a lot of others. He had a home run 114 miles an hour last year. Um, We've seen him hit the ball. I think 115. So he's a stat cast darling, but he also hits the ball in the air consistently. So you you can dream on 30 plus homers from him. And it's really just all about health. There's no more questions about this guy's ability. There's there's really no question. He's gonna be 24 actually for a couple months of the season. Like he's still so young. No questions about ability for Royce Lewis. All the questions are availability. And it seems like now playing third, I think they're gonna protect him a little bit. I just hope he can stay healthy because a full season from him could look like all-star might be selling it well for what yeah. he's capable of. I thought he was gonna be a shortstop, and then I thought he was gonna be a center fielder. And now I think he's going to be a third baseman. And that's where everybody's gone. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen a guy other than him ranked on six top 100 lists. But he was on Baseball America's top 100. He was the number 24 prospect in baseball, according to Baseball America, before the 2018 season. He was the number 43 prospect in baseball before the 2023 season. Six years on top 100 list because he went through the shits. He got hurt and he got hurt again and he got hurt again and he got hurt again. And now that he's healthy, we're seeing why he was 1-1. I think there was a stretch there, like maybe the two years after he was drafted, maybe even the three years after he was drafted. We're like, are we sure the Twins made the right decision? Yeah, and it, I think it was a sloppy swing. Yeah, and I think the answer was like, no, for the majority of baseball fans and almost the entirety of evaluators. And now the answer all of a sudden shifts right back to yes, because he made those swing changes. What did he change? 
I mean, he had a huge leg kick and a big barrel tip and just a lot of moving parts. And, and now, I mean, you see how simple it is, like really yeah. tone down the movement. It's almost no, no, no leg kick. It's a minimal stride. And, and I think that was the big part for me. He had this huge leg kick, big weight shift forward and a barrel tip. And just, he couldn't time it up consistently. And now he has almost no movement compared to what he used to do. And guess what? He still hits the crap out of the ball. There, when you see a guy simplify his moves, right? Like just simplify it as much as he can and yeah. still post the same exit velocities. I mean, like that's heaven, right? You're like, oh my gosh. So now he's going to make more contact and hit the ball as hard as he did before. When you have freakish bat speed and just raw strength, that's something that you can do and leverage. And that's exactly what he has done. So now he's on time more consistently. He's making more contact. He's making better swing decisions and he's still hitting the ball as hard as he ever did. So that's all he needed to do. It's it's easier said than done, uh, but he has worked really hard. His The makeup has always been considered off the charts, and I think that's why he always stayed on top prospect list because I think evaluators at the end of the day still felt like he was going to find a way, and he has found a way, and, and I will be rooting this for this guy endlessly. 100%. All right, let's jump to number six, and uh, it's like it's the classic BuzzFeed article. Number six may surprise you. <laughs> it hurts really badly. To do this, but this is where he fell. Number six on the third base list heading into 2024 is Nolan Arenado of the St. Louis Cardinals. And I, dude, yeah, he had 26. Yeah, he had 93 homers, but he played pretty much the whole year, 610 plate appearances, and he only put up two and a half wins. I didn't think that was possible from Nolan Arenado. I thought this guy was going to sleepwalk his way to three and a half, four win seasons because of the defense. The defense was really good. It was not Nolan Arenado. One defensive run save, five outs above average. At the end of the day, he hit just under 270, but he slugged under 460. We're used to this guy 30 and 100 with platinum glove defense. The war was docked because we didn't see that platinum glove defense. I still had him at five. Peter was the high guy at four. Colby Olson tanked him at nine. Yeah. I think he probably five. Um, but again, democracy, we have to respect it. We did see the first sign of Nolan slowing down last year. I hope he proves that that was a fluke and he's got three more good years in him, like a Paul Goldschmidt, who's three years older. Um, having said that, like, I am worried going into this year. Well, because it's twofold, right? Was he a was he bad defensively? Of course not. But we're talking yeah. about a guy that's never lost a, a gold glove until um, this year. It was his worst. It was his worst defensive season of his career yeah. by any metric you want to look at. Like it, it just objectively was uh, maybe aside from fielding percentage. Uh, I was going to say, give me fielding percentage. Give me assist. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Fielding percentage. Yeah. And uh, let's see from, a, from an assist standpoint, I actually think it was the worst. Um, it was the least assists he's ever had. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. no, but, but like, look, I, if it wasn't twofold, I and, and look, I still we still put him as a top six, and I, I had him at six. You had him at five, um, and, and I think realistically, you can make a strong case that he's five. But when we get to the top five, it's like, are you really going to take him over the the next five? I I don't know going into next year because seeing the offense back up in tandem with the defense backing up was 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 pretty surprising. Um, he struck out at. The highest clip, it, not high, but again, we're just seeing kind of everything. The bar was already set so high for himself. Struck out at the highest clip we've seen since 2018. Um, some of the, uh, I mean, it was the, his worst offensive season of his career too, unless you want to count 2020 when he was just like 
get me the hell out of Colorado, yeah. <laughs> you know, and in and, and a COVID shortened season where I don't really, you know, count that too much. So you have the offense back up, you have the defense back up, and he's going to be 33. Oh, I think he could bounce back and be fine. Maybe he was playing through some ailments or whatever it may be. And, you know, we're, we're a year removed from a 150 WRC plus and a 7-2 F4 season. Yeah. So I don't think he's cooked at all. Like, I, I think he can bounce back and be somewhere closer to that. But remember, 2021 was a good but not great season as well. So if he's 2021 Arenado, is that better than – the next guy we're going to talk about, and I'll just spoil it because, you know, there's just for the sake of the conversation, yeah. like, is that better than Rafael Devers? Maybe, but we know what Devers can do offensively. Like, I think it's, it's very close. Yeah. Um, but I, I think a realistic hope for him is the 2021 Arenado. I think that's much more likely than the 2022 Arenado after seeing what we got in 2023. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm going to place so much value in his bat this year. That that's kind of like my main sweeping takeaway. That's on the thing. On it, if he was mashing, right? Like, and the we wouldn't be having this conversation. Okay, that's yeah. fine. That's fine. Like, we figure it was going to slow down at some point, but he wasn't mashing. He no. was just hitting all right. You know, for his yeah, standards, like especially. he was a good hitter, but he wasn't Nolan. Like, yeah. we, I want to see Nolan offensively again. And if that, you know, if, if that's two fifty, but with thirty five, so be it. But if it's 290 with 30, like I I just want to see something get better off yeah. than it was. And, and what I'm what I'm concerned about too, and you know I don't dive too deep in this usually, especially with established stars. But again, we talked yeah. about the 2021 season, which I think is kind of the expectation now going into, into 2024. Four. But even his big 2022 season, you had a 533 slug, 445 expected slug. You had a, a 381 WOBA. A 339 X Woba. So, I mean, that's a pretty big discrepancy. Uh, and, and I I think so. Some of it was probably normalization. Some of it was some some struggles and just some inconsistencies. And those two things compound. And then you throw defense in with that. And, and you got the worst season. You know, he's he's really worst full season he's had in his career. Um, so, look, he can bounce back and prove all the, the doubters wrong. And that's always great. Um, you know, cause people always want to say, Oh, here's, here's the decline. Um, obviously I don't want to say that he's one of my favorite players of all time. Um, just because the, th- the position, uh, and this was the defensive video I watched all through high school to try to learn footwork and chopping my steps and how to do what, like, this yeah. is what I watched, you know, and tried to imitate. So, you know, I, I hope he can get back to that, but you know, I'm hoping it was just kind of the stale environment in, in, in St. Louis, maybe making him a little less inspired last year. Yeah. Number five, Rafael Devers. Uh, we didn't, you know, we 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 kind of teased it already, but number five, the number five third baseman in, in Major League Baseball is Rafael Devers, and he's another tough guy to rank because like, the Red Sox paid him, and for good reason. The guy can swing it, dude. He had 271, 351, 500, 33 pumps, to 124 WRC plus, 3.1 F4. Like the defense, it's gotten better. And then it kind of took a step backwards again last year, which was weird. Negative nine defensive runs saved, negative nine outs above average. You watch. There were some some times where I'm like, geez, this guy's brutal to watch. Uh, He'll make some good plays here and there, but it was was rough through stretches. He's a guy that has kind of underperformed his batted ball data. Like you you look at some of the batted ball data, the expected stats, they always seem to be, you know, pointing towards him having better days ahead. But at some point you got to wonder, like, is it all going to totally come to fruition? 
He hits the crap out of the ball. He's very aggressive, but he's also one of the best hitters at making contact outside of the zone. So if you're aggressive, but you can pulverize baseballs outside of the zone, then it's okay. You can get away with that more. Um, and you you look across the board here. All of us had him pretty much six five five six four, and then Colby had him at three, <laughs> and that was after we shamed him into having him at three. Um, I think he had, he had him, him at two. He had him at two which is, you know, that was a borderline fireable offense. <laughs> but it, look, he's a really good player. I, I I threw him in at five just because of where Arenado is at. And I think, you yeah. know, Devers at, at 27 years old this season could hit you 35, could hit you maybe 40. And I think the defense is kind of just one of those like every other year things with him. <laughs> it's just going to – I think it's almost a level of buy-in at some points. Uh, but – it's it's he's a tough player to peg for me, man, because I do value defense. But at the at the end of the day, third base, you know, it's an offensive position, and you know he has the potential to give you some of the best offense at the position. And he just kills the ball. That's my big thing with Devers. It's like no nobody kills it like Rafi Devers does. And thirty three and a hundred, you can bank on thirty three and a hundred from him yeah. every single year. He's going to figure out a way to get there. He's he's young, but he's been doing it for so long. That was kind of my thing with Devers. And I did have Nolan ahead of it. But the thing that draws me to Red Sox games now is I know I can see a, a batted ball from Rafi Devers and just say, whoa. Like, yeah. that is the emotion that not many players can invoke when it comes to a batted ball. I think Jordan Alvarez invokes that. Yeah. I think Judge invokes that. Aside from that, man, like Devers is on the very, very short list. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's the reason why I mean, he hits the living crap out of the ball. Like you said, yeah. like the, the EVs are crazy. And I'm just kind of waiting for that, that year where it gets all like comes together again too, where maybe he cuts down on the chase just a little bit. No, but the chase uh, is fun. Like because he kills the ball, that's eye high. The chase is it, enjoyable. It's, it can hit it anywhere. And he got better as the year went on for the most part. And again, if the defense can just be a little bit better, you're, you'll see the war output be much better as well. So uh, I'm expecting this year to only be better for him in, in 2024. Yeah. Uh, number four is Christopher Morrell of the Chicago. <laughs> number four is Manny Machado of the San Diego Padres. And Manny was consistently two or three on this list. He drops to four because he did struggle a little bit last year, relatively speaking. It was still a three-and-a-half win season. It was still a 114 WRC+. plus. He still hit 30 homers. He drove in 91, and he was a borderline elite defensive third baseman. Four DRS and 11 outs above average. I had him at three. You had him at four. Uh, the only outlier was Leo, who had him at seven. <laughs> He's 31 years old, man. He's like, There's plenty of tread left on those tires with Manny Machado, and... He was, I mean, I thought that he had an MVP case in 2022. It went to Goldie, deservedly so. It went to Goldie, but that guy was the clear runner-up for the National League MVP. Last year, I think we saw a Padres team that really disappointed and maybe Manny lost some buy-in. Like, that is clearly a thing with Manny Machado. Um, and, and I wonder what his year is going to look like and how reliant on the Padres team's success that will be if the Padres win 90 games, I think Machado is an MVP candidate. If they win 79, 75, is he an all-star? I don't know. 
Well, and, and the thing too is I, I he he did play injured a lot of the year, but yeah. but by by the end of the year, by September, you know, he couldn't even play defense anymore because it was a right elbow extensor tendon repair surgery that he ended up having this offseason. I have to imagine that that impacted the bat a little bit too. And you know, he he struggled more with fastballs than we've really ever seen him struggle at certain points. So like I thought that was kind of fascinating. Um he still had the year that he had, which was a an above average offensive season and still was an above average defender while playing through, you know, an arm issue it was pretty remarkable. So and this is a guy that's had an absolute cannon for an arm for so long. So there's probably just some wear and tear on the arm. But like you mentioned, he's still very young, relatively speaking, like 31 years old. He's got plenty left. Um and, and Really nothing else looked like it was slowing down before the arm was a problem and the range was great. He was still making all the throws. He's still hitting the crap out of the ball. I, I do think that that injury impacted both the offensive and defensive side of things a little bit. And he still gave you, you know, three and a half wins while not playing defense at the last, you know, month as well. Um, yeah. So I, he almost backed into a four win season while being hurt and, and missing time defensively. I think he's going to bounce back in a big way this year. And I think it's going to be part of the reason why I'm, I'm actually buying into the, to the Padres this year too. There we go. So you think that this guy is going to bunny hop number three as of right now? Cause I was thinking just going into the year based on track record, based on, I think just sheer ability Machado's number three, but number three on the list now had such a great year in 2023 and Machado faltered just enough for him to hop him. I do think going into 2025, we're talking about Manny as the third best third baseman in baseball. I agree, but it brings us into number three, which is Alex Bragman of the Houston Astros, who it's just back-to-back really consistently solid seasons now. Where he, And we obviously have seen him have back-to-back eight-win seasons, which is yeah. insane. 18 and 19. And then you have the 2020 shortened season where he was great. 2021 was a little bit of a disappointment from him. Um, and, and again, disappointment relatively speaking. He was hurt too, uh, and I think that's important to note. And then he's healthy again, and he's been great back-to-back years. Uh, he's really turned into a, a quality defender at the position um he, and he's just a, a consistent bat uh, nothing's gonna jump off the page i don't think he's gonna hit you 40 like he did in, in 2019 but 23 homers in 2022 and then this past year 25 homers slashes 262 363 441 he walked more than he struck out and and that's always going to be a unique value um that you know you just don't get much at all in this game um 4.3 f4 but I would bet on Machado having a better year because of, especially from an F4 perspective, uh, because of what he can do defensively and then and then the power that he brings to the table. But that said, Bregman's another guy that knows how to leverage the Crawford boxes, makes a ton of contact, doesn't chase, walks a ton, and you just feel so safe that you pretty much pencil him in. If he if you know he's playing 150 games, which aside from 2021, that's a big thing too. You've had consistency. 155 games, 157 games, 156. Then he had the 2022 season, hurt in 2021, 155 games and 161 last year. Like, you know you're getting that pretty much. And as long as he's healthy, you feel damn confident he's giving you at least a four-win season, probably better than that. So opening day is March 28th? I think it's March 28th. He turns 30 on March 30th. So the third day of the season is Alex Bregman's 30th birthday. He signed a five-year, $100 million extension that takes him through 2024. This guy's going to get two nine-figure deals in his career. He's going to hit the open market, it seems, because I, I don't know. Like They extended Altuve. They haven't done it with Bregman yet. If he does what we think he can do this year, 100 is chump change for this guy. 
I think he's 150 at 30 years old. If Chapman, if Matt Chapman's looking at 100, Alex Bregman should be looking at 200 when he hits the market as a 30 year old. Yeah, probably. And Bregman will great. probably get it. I, I also think his game's going to age fine. Yeah, you know, because he walks. It right. might not be the same power, but you're going to get a guy that's going to hit for average. He's going to walk and still probably give you and, two, three, one seasons. Of the back and run a 12% K rate. Yeah. Like, damn. Been there, done that in the postseason. That's a guy I wouldn't be worried paying, um, you know, longer term deal. He's going to he's going to get paid for sure. 100%. Um, I would give number two a billion dollars and I wouldn't <laughs> blink twice. And you and I are the only ones that get it because we were the two people that had him as the best third baseman in baseball coming into this year. Understandably so. Peter Fink, Leo and Colby didn't. But our second best third baseman in baseball heading into 2024 is Austin Riley of the Atlanta Braves. And I'll rattle off the offensive numbers just so you have them. But I'm then going to tell you why I think he's the best third baseman in baseball heading into this year. This guy played all the time, 715 plate appearances, a 281, 345, 516 slash line, 37 pumps, nearly 100 driven in, a 127 WRC plus, And he put up a 5.2 win season by defending at the best level in his career. 90 yep. defensive runs saved at third base. This guy has done everything we've asked Rafi Devers to do. We've asked yeah. them to do it simultaneously. It's like, if only Austin Riley and Rafi Devers were better at defense. One of them's hit or miss. The other's got better and better and better to the point where Austin Riley is a top 10 defender at the third base position. He is becoming the perfect third baseman. I yep. think I don't yep. need stolen bases for my third baseman. Granted, number one gives them to you. But dude, if my third baseman is a threat to hit 40, drive in 120 and defend at a very high level, I'll pay. I'll, I'll blank check that dude. He's prototypical at this point. Like you in terms of just what you want, like he's the he's exactly like the desired just like. If you could carve out the the profile, he's because number one, Jose Ramirez, spoil that. Like that's not a prototypical third baseman. That is a rare breed of a third right. baseman. Um, Riley's the power. Like, yes, it's never gonna be hit, you know, hit tool off the charts, but the field of hits pretty good. You power it a little bit of whiff, but it's not egregious, and he's continued to to improve in that regard. 24% K rate. I think the only thing that's slightly missing from him is like walking at a little bit higher of a clip. And I think that's something that'll continue to come as he, you know gets more seasons under his belt and gets pitched to probably a little bit less, yeah. but a 281, 345, 516 slash line silly. And, and I think the other side of it is we've seen stretches where he's one of the best hitters in the entire sport. Um, and then, you know, we had 2022 where it was like for a whole half, he was just on a different planet. And then we had some stretches. He was more consistent in 23, but we had some stretches again, where he just looked like he was unstoppable. So oh, Riley homered again. Um, for the defense to come along the way it has, as you mentioned, the power to just be where it's at in terms of where he's tapping it into it in game and game so consistently, you know, leading the position in home runs, even, you know, out, out homering Max Muncie, who's, you know, was <laughs> just even considered on this list only because of the home runs and yeah. the walks, like out homering the guy that is basically makes a living off of just hitting home runs. And it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, it, it, it says a lot. So that's why I just think it's only going to get better and better for him. Um, the the one thing I will say is if you switched Austin Riley and Jose Ramirez's situations, 
I, I think Jose Ramirez would clearly be the best in in the sport. And, oh, and he'd be. Because, yeah. You know, no, that's the thing is Riley's in a position where he's just so insulated. You, you have to pitch. Protected. Yeah. Ram, no one pitches to that guy. He gets intentionally walks as much as anybody. But you can't really factor that in too much. The dude just drives and runs. He hits for power. In the defense is now good. It's it's almost impossible to to find an issue with Austin Riley at this point. And I think he's only going to get better. I, I do think he's going to at least finish in the top three in MVP voting in the next couple of years. But I, I think he's going to get one eventually. Yeah, I hope so. And uh, not to not to spoil the uh, the futures episode, the the awards episode, but this guy screams MVP dark horse him, him and Olsen kind of fall into the same bucket for me. Cause it's like, all right, if Acuna doesn't go 40, 70 again, how many years does 54 and 140 not win it for you? Like, Olsen had a year that is an MVP in the non-steroid era. Cause you mentioned the steroid era MVP voting is just crazy. Yeah. That, yeah I would say in, in, in 2004, Matt Olsen would have finished 18th in MVP. Yeah. But that's gone. But like Olsen, 54 and 139 should have you in contention for an MVP. I I do think Riley's offensive numbers alone could have him in contention and playing a more premium position. Like we we've got that kind of thing. So and, and playing it well. Which playing it is, really well. Is pretty quite pretty crazy. So yeah. that leads us into number one. And number one is Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Guardians, who whether you want to break down the numbers or whatever it may be, there's one thing that I think is undeniable, which is that Jose Ramirez is the most talented third baseman in the sport. And I think that's the the clear cut thing. And you can define talent in, in several ways, but I think any way that you define talent, Jose Ramirez would still be the guy that leads the pack, right? Because you have a guy that hits the ball hard. You have a guy that walked as much as he struck out. You have a guy that will steal bags. He stole 28. You have a guy that uh, is a switch hitter um, and, and and is a good defender. You know, it's not great, but it's good. 282, 356, 475 slash line. And I promise you, if he was in a lineup with a little bit more protection, he would be even better. It would be even crazier. I think you'd see more home runs. But the fact that he's able to navigate that walk at a 10.6% clip, strike out only at a 10.6% clip, and just do all the things that he does. He can impact the game in so many ways. Hits the ball hard, can motor. I mean, talk about not being able to poke a hole in somebody's game. There's nothing wrong with J-Ram's game. And that's why he has had three consecutive seasons of at least five war. And actually last year was a down year for him compared to the other the other two years that we've had recently. 6.6 war in 21, 6.4 war in 22. 5.1 more last year. Uh, so a real, a real rough one for uh, Jose Ramirez last season. Here's the thing about J Ram that I think flies under the radar big time. Cause you, you take his presence in that guardians lineup for granted. Cause if his presence wasn't there, they would be one of the worst teams in baseball. Like regardless of starting pitching prowess, they would be bad because he is the run producer for them. Games played 2016 is age 23 season. 152, then 152, then 157. Hurt a little bit, limited to 129 in 2019. 58 of 60 in 2020. 152, 157, 156. All the time. Uh, I loved this line from Patrick Lyons. Again, great write-up at baseball.com. His opening line when it comes to J-Ram. Top 10 in AL MVP voting the last four years and six of the last seven. Five selections of the All-Star game. Four Silver Slugger Awards, one infamous TKO. And it was a TKO. Good job. It wasn't a KO. It was a TKO. Uh, He is the best thing Cleveland 
has outside of LeBron. <laughs> like, I mean, he is a godsend to that franchise because I have no idea where they would be at if they didn't have his power presence in the lineup every single day. 47 F floor. 47 already. He's tracking like a Hall of Famer. He's 31. He'll be 31 for the whole season, right up until the end of it. And, um, I mean, you got 216 home runs, 202 stolen bases as well. Uh, like, he got a little bit of a later start compared to – actually, not even really. And his first full season at 23 years old, I'll say compared to some, you know, like other Hall of Fame candidates – it is interesting too, like how it took him a couple of years to get his footing, which makes it even cool, more, you know, more, more unique of a story where 2014, 2015, like it wasn't great for him. Um, and then just explodes, bursts onto the scene. But he's on a Hall of Fame track if he can do, you know, keep doing this for another four or five years and then, you know, coast for another two or three with a couple of decent seasons. Like he's going to have some unique stat lines where I don't think it's going to be checking those automatic thresholds of, you know, 3000 hits, 500 home runs, whatever it may be. But it's gonna be one of those things where you're like, if you're sorting by players with X amount of hits, X amount of homers, X amount of stolen bases, um, and, and X war, he's going to be in a very small group. And that's why I think he's going to end up there. But what's amazing too, is, is stolen bases too. It's every single year. You can pretty much count on 20 plus home runs every single year. You can pretty much count on 20 plus. He almost hit 20 in 2020. Like it's yeah. insane. He was in a 3.2 F4 in 2020. Like that to me is, is just like the, the, the craziest part. Um, we might, we might see a, another six, seven, we could see another seven, eight win season out of him. I still think in the next couple of years, you never know uh, because he's just, when he gets hot, it's, it's crazy. And he's a guy that's given us an eight win season in the past. Um, he's, he's just an absolute monster. If you start from 2016 onward, which is his first full season, yeah. He's only had one full year where he's been under a five war. That's crazy. And that was in 2019 where it was three and a half. And he That's went 2020 that year, by the way. Um, so he's a special, special talent, speed, power, switch hitter, field to hit approach, uh, defense. Seems like a great dude. Good right hook. Like yeah. it's, it, he's, he's the perfect ball player, man. It, it's, it's just another one of those like, Creative. He doesn't look like it, yeah. but it's another one of those creative player types. Probable or possible that he is a member of the 300-300 club? 300 homers, 300 stolen bases. Probable. I'd say probable. How many guys probable. do you think are in the 300-300 club in baseball history? Mantle. No. No. When his nope. knees got too jacked up. Amazon. I'm going to say five. Eight. Ooh. Barry Bonds, Willie Mays, Andre Dawson, Bobby Bonds, Reggie Sanders, Steve Finley, Alex Rodriguez, Carlos Beltran. Pretty good group. But two guys, two of those guys aren't Hall of Famers. Well, aside from A-Rod, don't count that. I think well, and Bonds, don't count that. Uh yeah, don't count that either. Well, I, Bobby's not a Hall of Famer, I don't think. No. Bobby had some fucking years, man. Bobby had um, some years. I just realized too, we forgot to update the rankings after Pablo Sandoval signed with the Giants. Yeah, well, he makes actually my top 15 AAA third baseman. Can you imagine having that guy on your team in, tri- in trips? I like, cannot. Dude, like it feels like the um, 
was it the Dubai series that they were playing? Like that. So when when I saw Pablo Sandoval was back, I figured he was playing for like the Lexington Legends or something. Yeah. No, he's had, he's gonna be a River Cat. <laughs> he got a non roster. Do, do you think they just cut him though? Like the, I remember the Marlins signed like Pedro Alvarez, and that guy showed up to camp like like not looking like he was ready to play, and then they just cut him. They didn't even sign him to AAA. So, like, he, but the, the Giants aren't gonna do him dirty though. Like I feel like if they signed him right, like he's a non roster invitee. What are they doing with that guy so, if he doesn't make the team out of camp? What I would say is like it really helps that they're AAA affiliates in Sacramento. You have a ton of Giants fans in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. I could see a world where he had a conversation with Farhan and was just like, hey, I still love it. I still want to play. I'm fine being in AAA. Like I just want to play baseball and collect a paycheck. And if that was the conversation, I I get it from that perspective because that is an excellent PR move for the Giants to have him in Sacramento. And it's like, hey, go go see our AAA club. Not only can you see the future of the San Francisco Giants, but you can also see the past and like the way past at this point. Um, I don't know. It it feels very PR stuntish, but um, I like the vibe. It's good to have Kung Fu Panda back uh, back making headlines. Yeah, so and I'm trying to see like how he did in the winter league. Um, because like he must have done something half decent for them to dude have any he, interest. Did he play in a winter league? Yes, he did. The Puerto he Rican did. winter league, and he had a 508 OPS. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> in 20 games. He oh, hit 189, no. 250. Oh, so this is a circus. He he's an exhibit. Yes. He <laughs> slashed. In the Puerto Rican Winter League, 189, 250, 216. Oh, what are, are we you... doing? Oh, man. So yeah, he, he finished the season one for, looks like, 28. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, exclusively DHing, by the way. Oh, God, this is so tough. Oh God! All right, well, you know what? It makes it you know if they draw more fans in Sacramento because of it. Here's the thing: if I'm losing at bats to Pablo Sandoval, 37 year old Pablo Sandoval, I'm I'm livid. Oh no! Yeah, I'm not happy about it. If I'm, I'm, I'm in AAA, I'm demanding That's a that. trade as a minor leaguer. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, I'm like requesting a trade. Look, it's fun. I'm here for it. But the, let's call it what it is. It's a PR move. Yeah, and and I I, I I'm I'm surprised to see the Giants do it. But if there's one guy for them to do it with. Kung Fu yeah. Panda. So I will say, I think Ryan Goins was technically on like the development list for Omaha the last couple of years. And he was really just a coach. I could see Pablo doing that where it's like, he's on the development list in Sacramento and he's the bench coach. Wasn't Manny Ramirez like a, a minor league coach for the, like in the Cubs organization for a year Maybe? or something like that? that Wasn't he like a right. player coach? He was a player coach. I don't think that was with like Iowa or anything like that. Swore. Maybe it was in a different league that he did that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember, I yeah. remember a Manny Ramirez player coach situation. Also, his stint with the Rays is all time funny. Goes one for 17 at 39 years old and then gets popped for like the eighth time. Um, and that was that. Okay. Yeah. No, it was 2014. He was in triple A with Chicago. And I think he was, he played 20 player manager. He was like a, like a coach player, like not, not like the manager, but one of the coaches, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That sound about right? Yeah, he was. No, that's right. He played 24 games with them, and that was a team that had Javi Baez for 104 games, Chris Bryant for 70. What a fever. We got to do a YouTube video on that team. Man, Kyle Hendricks. 
This is crazy. Matt Caesar was a thing. Chris Faleka was a thing too. Suyoshi Wada, 33-year-old Suyoshi Wada. This is all right. This is a good team. 2014 Iowa Cubs making a well, and, and here's the thing. He was better. 42-year-old Manny Ramirez off the juice was better in triple A than than Pablo Sandoval was in uh in the Puerto Rican Winter League. Obsessed. Eris Mendy Alcantara. Wow. He was on this yeah, team. We, too. we need a documentary on that team. I think so. Junior Lake was there too for a little bit. Great. Team was loaded. Team was loaded. All right. Um, NBA All-Star is now in the rear view. If you are a hoop head, go check out the Just Basketball show. Chris Manning and Brendan Clean are doing a great job over there for us. And it is the uh it's the expansion into the just sports fans, yes. which is very exciting. Um yeah, get your merch. I know we're shipping out some a lot of merch. Uh and go listen to the call up. We're we're fucking killing on the call up as as the two as the two people that like are talking into microphones on the call up. The call up is awesome. Uh um, go fun, do man. that. And Elijah yeah. Evans is doing a great job kind of spearheading so, that social growth. So even if you're not a huge prospect, Ted, um we're doing all 30 farm systems. You know, we're halfway through the league at this point. Or every time we put out, you know team top prospect rankings that you know we put all those detailed write-ups together on each of those guys and give you everything you need to know we do an episode breaking that all down so yeah at least check out the episode of your favorite team i promise you'll you'll be primed on on your entire farm system that's our goal and um that's you know where i love to cook so um yeah check out the call up some really fun player interviews on there recently too matt canarino the twins like that's a guy that i think is gonna actually have a big league impact this year really cool perspective there but yeah, it's a great way to, if you're a dynasty fantasy person too, we'll get you right. But also on the basketball side, uh, Brandon and Chris have kept me up to date with everything on that show. Uh, we're really pumped to have them aboard. So definitely go check out the Just Basketball show uh, and and let us know what you think there. But yeah, that's all I got. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to watch Pablo Sandoval. I, I, I am happy with some of like the, the funny, like circus type of yes. things in the minor leagues from time to time. Just keeps you on your toes. It's always fun to see. Uh, I'm sure he'll pinch it here and there, Um, but yeah, it'll be fun. Talk about uh, defensive buy-in. Yeah, that guy was a third baseman at one point. Really, he really was. All right, Um, I think I think it's gonna be all three of us for the mailbag. But then uh, Peter and I doing uh, I think corner outfield on Friday. It'll be a good week. Just baseball show. Talk to you guys Wednesday.